You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. Although today we're not talking about how to talk to girls. We're talking about something a little bit different. We're talking about how to increase your testosterone and overall how to live a healthier life. This is going to be a great episode and I think you're going to really like it because I'm interviewing a really great dude. His name is Max Lugavere, and Max is a guru in the space of health and nutrition. And I know there's a lot of people out there and a lot of gurus in that space, but I think that he's got a little bit of credibility. He has a New York Times bestseller from the book Genius Foods, has a lot of high ratings on Amazon as well. He has half a million followers at this date on Instagram, and he has interviewed people on his podcast that are leaders in his field, people such as Dave Asprey of Bulletproof Coffee, who actually was also on this podcast several years back, and other very interesting people. And you can check out his podcast if you want to see who some of those people are and hear more about health and hear more about just living a healthier lifestyle. His podcast is called The Genius Life with Max Lugavere. I'm so excited that he came on to the How to Talk to Girls podcast to chat here and chat with us all about testosterone, eating healthy. We talk about how to feel better in general and what tips that you can do during the day to help you feel better, more energized. What is a good diet to make you feel the healthiest? We talk about supplementation and what supplements are good. We talk about what kind of foods are going to be good in terms of how you source them. So where you get your foods from. Really good stuff today. Very excited, as you can tell. Max, if you're listening to this, you rock, man. Thanks for doing this interview. It was really beneficial for not only the audience, but for myself as well. I love being able to learn from the people who I have here on the podcast. As you can see, I don't really do too many interviews lately. I'm really only doing them with people who I feel can offer a lot of value to you and not just get anyone off the street. And Max is definitely not that. He has a really great reputation for giving out high quality information that is going to help you. I know that a lot of guys do have testosterone issues. I know that as we get older, our testosterone seems to fall and our hormones and our bodies start to change. Well, we're going to be talking about that. Just FYI, that part of the episode is a little bit later on, so we don't dive right into testosterone. We do a nice introduction. We talk a lot, a lot about all things health before we get into it. So don't be surprised if it's a little bit into the interview when we start talking about it. But we really do talk about everything related to health. We even get into your sleep cycles and how to have better sleep and how to just remain stress-free throughout the day. So all good things coming at you right now. Here's my interview with Max Lugavere. Check it out. Hey, Max, what's going on, man? How you doing? What up? It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing this. Dude, you're killing it. I mean, half a million followers on Instagram. Clearly, you have 
information mindsets and the sort that people want to hear, right? I can count on one hand the things in life that I'm obsessively passionate about. Health, nutrition, science is definitely one of them. And so I've just decided in my life to go to go deep. And I was motivated by something very actually tragic in my in my life. My mom got sick at a young age and developed a, a rare form of dementia. And it was something that I'd, you know, to have her back in good health would be would be something that I would trade anything for. But it has given me, it's shown me what my what my life's purpose really is. And it's to learn as much as I can about how to live more healthily today and to share what I've learned and what I'm learning out with uh, with people. So I'm just, I'm very grateful that people have gravitated to my work and are, and are deriving value from it. That's awesome. That is awesome. How long have you been working in this space for? I was a, when I graduated college, I got a job working for Al Gore. He had a TV network in the U.S. called Current TV. And I was one of the main journalists and, and hosts for that, for that network. So I did that for six years. And then when my mom got sick, this was about 10 years ago. I had always been passionate about nutrition and fitness science, but when my mom got sick, it became very much focused on the role that nutrition can play in longevity and in brain health, cognitive health, mental health. And so, yeah, that that's a journey that began about 10, 10 years ago, um, if not more. Okay. And yeah, we'll, we'll likely continue until my last breath. So, and I, I you know, it is... My why, of course, as I mentioned, is, is my mom, but it, it is something that I love, that I'm very passionate about. So so I, I am grateful that I get to do this. Yeah, that's amazing. That is awesome. I feel like you and I share a very similar passion. Not that it's the same passion, but the way that you feel about nutrition and health is the way I feel about dating and relationships. Not the exact same why, but it's something that I'm very passionate about and and something that I love talking about. And I'm still a, I consider myself still a student. Would you say the same thing? Or do you consider yourself still a student in the, in this space? In oh, your space? a thousand percent. I love the way you put that. Yeah. I definitely, I mean, it's funny. The more you learn, the less you realize, you know, that's sort of how it works. It's the, it's the yeah, inverse it's of the Dunning, the Dunning Kruger effect, you know, the Dunning Kruger effect, the less, you know, the more you think, you know, but that's actually flipped on its head when once you actually start to amass real knowledge, you realize how much there is to know and how proportionally little of it you actually have a grasp over. So yeah, always a student. And I think it's an important way to be about about all topics, right? So am I on here going to learn about how to talk to girls? Because that's something that I feel like I could really benefit from, or is that not what, what we're here to do today? Sorry, my friend. You're going to have to listen <laughs> to the other... Uh, hold on. Let's see. 629 episodes to learn that you're here to teach us. We're here to get value from you. Sorry, buddy. Uh, are you single though? I am single. Yeah, I'm single. Okay. Something just tells me, uh, I I just have a gut feeling you don't have a problem with meeting women. (laughs) You know, I go on plenty of dates. I live in Los Angeles, so there are lots of dating opportunities, but finding something that endures is a little bit more challenging. That's LA for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I lived there I for know. nine years. So very familiar with, uh, with LA and I used to call it the Harvard of dating, meaning <laughs> if you could learn how to date and meet women there, it's just 50 times easier anywhere else. It's just one of the hardest places to meet women. And it is a hard place also to keep women around 
and also just find someone that is going to be a good fit just how it is i don't know do you see that as well no it's completely true i mean it's the people that are in especially this part of town typically fresh off the boat here to pursue their dreams very distractible by the shiny lights and the celebrity culture here on this side of town everybody's trying to be an influencer always looking over their shoulder for the for the next better option yeah, I mean, you know, and also I, I think that women, this is just, this is a, a complete generalization, but there's a, you know, it's like success is attractive, right? Because it, it, it implies that you have a degree of financial stability, which I think is very attractive to a potential suitor. But the, the issue in LA is that the continuum of success is so vast, you know, like LA yeah. you have, like I, I was sitting at lunch the other day with a group and somebody was describing a person and their financial status, they had just started dating them, and they were saying, "Oh, he's he's rich, not L.A. rich, but he's you know he's got money or something like that." And uh, I was like, "That is really interesting that a quote unquote rich person." And we're we're talking only in terms of, of financial success. I don't believe that that's the only way to be rich, but you know they were they were sort of referring to this this person as being you know financially independent but still somehow that's not necessarily good enough here in this in this city which is kind of a shame because i think in many ways yeah. la is is a phenomenal city but it's got it's got that weird thing working against it i know you know the thing is too is even if that's the case you don't want that woman anyways who cares that much about la rich you know right. or or all of that i'm not saying that you should be broke and sleeping on your parents' couch, but you're going to find, I feel, a better fit for you when you're not trying to find a woman who's looking for that L.A. rich guy. Mm -hmm. Something tells me that woman is going to be extremely high maintenance anyway and someone to stay away from. But you you make a good point, though. It's all relative. You know, if you... Like, you have a half a million Instagram followers and you... I assume very successful. You look successful in terms of what I've seen of you and, and your presence. And that would be, you know, to someone, let's say in Oklahoma City, you'd be famous. And in LA, it's like, oh, well, it's not 5 million followers. So, you know, you're not yeah. that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> None of that stuff affects me in any way. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I know that I'm successful. I feel successful. And that's, that's what matters to me. And the way that I define success is not based on what's in my bank account. It's based on the fact that I get to, I, I have a platform where I'm able to impact people in a, in a really meaningful way. Absolutely. And, and so to me, that's what, that's what really lights my fire. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. I want to talk about health and nutrition. And, you know, I, I think it, it should be, it should be stated before we get into it. You know, why do you think it's a simple question, but I'm still curious to hear your answer. Why do you think a guy, single or not, should be focusing on their health? Why even bother? What's the point? Well, because I think when you are healthy, you are implicitly more attractive. I think health is attractive. It's, you know, we might not necessarily be conscious of it, but what we look for in in others and what we determine to be attractive is usually not always, but is usually indicators of health, right? 
It's good skin. It's a glow, a feminine glow, an energy that's been un, unjaded and unencumbered by modern stress, right? I think when you, as a sovereign individual, are healthy and strong and robust, it's very attractive to, to the opposite sex, as it should be. It shows that you are stable, that you are secure, that you are grounded. And I think this all is a, it, it's an inside job, right? If you embody, I've, I've heard it described as what, the hungry ghost or the empty ghost or, or something like that. There's, this, there's basically this way to describe somebody who is just visibly lacking, right? They're lacking in terms of their health. They're lacking in terms of their confidence. They're not, they haven't yet reached a point of sovereignty, you know, where they are looking to complete themselves in the other. That's a very unattractive way to be, I think. And so, yeah, making friends with your mind, establishing body autonomy, robustness, you know, which is something that our, our ancestors certainly embodied, right? Self-sufficiency. I think these are all incredibly important and attractive, attractive qualities, right? Yeah. We want to see self-sufficiency in those that, that, that we are seeking out, right? You don't want somebody who's like, if you're in your most self-actualized state, you don't want a significant other who's going to be like the bird with a broken wing. You want somebody who's whole, who's already whole. This whole notion of like you completing me. I mean, it's a romantic ideal, but I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think it leads to the healthiest relationships. Yeah. So making sure that you're eating healthy, taking care of your body. It's a sign of self-respect. Eating well, celebrating what your body can do in the gym, not using uh, exercise as a means of torturing yourself, but but celebrating what your body can do. I think all really positive indicators of, of good health. And that's attractive, I think, to others. Yeah, totally. I like what you said there, this idea of respecting yourself. And isn't health the largest form of that? Whenever you're eating healthy or you're going to the gym, because there's a lot of times where we don't want to go to the gym and we don't want to eat healthy. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a sign of disrespecting yourself if you want to have that donut or if you you know want to sleep in. But I do believe that if you are eating the healthy stuff, you are taking care of your body, it's absolutely a sign of the fact that you respect yourself and it's self-esteem. And I agree with you in the fact that when a woman sees that, and sees that you're a healthy individual inside and out, it almost subcommunicates that to her, that you are this confident person, that you are someone who respects yourself and likes yourself, and that's absolutely attractive to women. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It goes far deeper than just longevity, but of course longevity is good too. Did you ever listen to that podcast, Lifespan? I do not know. Is that the David Sinclair podcast? That's the David Sinclair podcast. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm friends with him and I, I'm familiar with his work. I haven't listened to his podcast, but these are, these are topics that I, that I, you know, routinely talk about. And you're, you're so right that eating well is a form of self-respect. Exercising regularly is a form of self-respect. And yeah, indulging once in a while eating foods that aren't necessarily good for the body, but are good for the soul. I think that's that's an important part of this as well, right? This isn't about perfectionism. It's about doing the best you can. But sometimes self-love, I think, I think the truest manifestation of self-love is honesty. It's being honest with yourself. It's being able to look in the mirror 
or assess how you feel maybe subjectively or with biomarkers that you can get drawn up from a lab in your in your doctor's office it's the honesty to say i haven't been treating myself as well as i should be i've been in you know in pressing that indulgence button a little bit too frequently i've been a little bit too lax with the gym that's not shame that's not guilting yourself that's not self-immolation it's honesty it's like the same way that you would treat a child you know like your your children now i don't have any kids but i know that you know if you have kids and all they want to do is eat junk food 24 hours a day it's not love to say okay eat the junk food right to give them what they want love is saying no don't eat the junk food or at least you know we're going to eat less of that you got to eat real food breakfast lunch dinner that's love sometimes love is tough and that's how you got to be with yourself sometimes but again self love you're not going to be able to manifest love in you know extrinsic love before you've been able to cultivate self love self love is like it's the precursor it's necessary but not sufficient yeah. it's got to be there yeah yeah exactly i like that and then when you get to the point where you want to start eating healthy and you want to start living a healthy lifestyle you know in your book for example in genius foods what do you say in there when it comes to living a healthier lifestyle and eating healthy and I have another question, but I don't want to overwhelm you here. Uh, so I'll, we'll just start there. Yeah. Well, for me, it really is. Like what are some I, general first... things that like that you think of? Yeah. I mean, I think I think most people don't realize that supermarkets are designed the same way. It's the fresh, perishable food that tends to be around the perimeter of the supermarket, and it's the aisles where you find the ultra-processed, shelf-stable, package-processed foods. Today, by and large, your average adult is is over-consuming these kinds of shelf-stable foods to the tune of about 60% of one's daily calorie intake these days on average comes from these types of foods. They're not fresh. They've got health claims, long ingredients lists, you name it. I think by sticking to the fresh perishable food, mostly you're going to see that that's the low hanging fruit by and large for most people that are listening to this, right? Because again, 60% of the calories that your average person consumes comes not from fresh perishable foods like dark leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, whole fruits, grass-fed beef, fish, eggs, poultry, things like that, but from what are made by food manufacturers. So reducing the ultra-processed food consumption, opting more for the the whole foods, I think that's like, those are going to be, I mean, big wins right there. Even before we start getting into the nitty-gritty of plant foods versus animal foods, low-carb versus low-fat, etc., but in my first book, Genius Foods, what I did was I, I highlighted the foods that would repeatedly stand out to me in the medical literature that lent the most bang for the buck in terms of a cardioprotective and neuroprotective effect while also being the most satiating. And so foods like avocados, foods like grass-fed, grass-finished beef, eggs, berries, dark leafy greens, these are all foods that directly protect the brain. And the body could almost be thought of as a a vehicle for the brain, right? The body evolved to move the brain around. So what's good for the brain is really going to be good for every other aspect of your of your being. And so it's through that lens that I think it's important to assess food. And so for me, the foods that are going to be the most nutrient dense, the most satiating, it's those kinds of foods. Protein foods, high protein foods, I think are, are the most important to focus on, especially for people who are exercising, which I think is, is, is crucially important. But 
This includes beef, fish, chicken, eggs, if you're on a plant-based diet. I don't actually recommend plant-based diets. I think that they're suboptimal when compared to omnivorous diets, but legumes, you know, can be a good a good source of protein for people on, on plant-predominant diets. Protein is really important for helping to promote the growth and maintenance of your lean mass and specifically your skeletal muscle, which makes you look better naked, right? But it also is satiating, so it's going to help assuage your hunger in a way that carbs and fat can't. And also high-protein foods tend to contain other nutrients, micronutrients that we know are under-consumed. So, you know, women, I think, want men who are of sound mind, right? <laughs> and men want women who are of sound mind. People, you know, like good mental health is 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 crucially important and it's something that today is on the chopping block, either due to the news media cycles or the ubiquity of social media or even our diets. We know that diet affects mental health. And so when you reach for high protein foods, whether it's again, grass finished beef or wild salmon, you're also getting a myriad of micronutrients that directly support mental health, like zinc, like vitamin B12, like choline. There was actually um, a study performed out of uh, Deakin University's Food and Mood Center, which right there, just the existence of the center tells you where nutrition research is going with, with regard to mental health, that women who didn't eat the nationally recommended three to four servings of red meat per week were twice as likely to be diagnosed with a major mood disorder. Wow. So if you want your brain working well, you gotta prioritize in your diet high protein foods. Okay, all right. I have a few questions here based off some of the things that you're saying. So, when it comes to eating meat, what camp are you in? You said omnivore, so you're obviously pro meat. You said that. Do you feel like? Well, let's just talk about your diet. Do you eat meat on a regular basis, or is it a small part of your eating habits? I eat it on a regular basis. It's not a small part. It's not an overwhelming part. It's about 50% of my plate is usually dedicated to a a protein-containing food. I think it's important the same way that in a stock portfolio you want to see diversity, right? I think it's important to cycle proteins because you get nutrients in wild fatty fish that you're not getting in grass-finished beef. You get nutrients in grass-finished beef that you're not getting in, for example, free-range poultry. So for me, you know, I, I like with every meal to have a, a protein be a, a sort of featured staple on the plate, but it changes meal to meal. So I, I usually eat, end up eating red meat three to four times a week, poultry another three to four times a week, fish. I, you know, I like to cycle it all. I think dietary diversity is really important with regard to, you know, the animal proteins that we're eating as well as the the plant foods that we're consuming because you get different nutrients in, you know, and, and all of those nutrients serve to strengthen and fortify the body. But yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm definitely pro animal product consumption. I think it's, I think it's, you know, we want to make sure that we're sourcing it well. So ideally your beef is going to come from regenerative farms, humane certified, grass fed, grass finished, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the one of the things that the wellness industry suffers from is this sort of black or white perfectionist thinking about food, which can strain people's relationship with food, which yeah. which is, you know, this is something that that we we need to be talking more about. But that being said, you know, like even beef from Costco and who knows where that comes from, if you're talking about like lean red meat, it's still a highly nutrient dense food. 
So I try not to let perfect be the enemy of the good, realizing that most people are not going to have the kind of access that I have living in Los Angeles. Even a conventionally produced egg is still a cognitive multivitamin, I like to call it. Even farmed fish is going to be a better option for dinner than boxed mac and cheese. Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, not letting perfect be the enemy of the good and doing the best you can with what you've, you know, with what you have access to. Yeah. What I've been trying to do is, is, is what you're saying exactly is I just try to optimize over time. You know, it's when I was first learning about this stuff, it's hard to do it all. It can be hard to, to source it yourself, depending on where you're living. Maybe some things are out of the budget, you know, depending. I mean, if you want to go go to Whole Foods, for example, and, and do everything organic, everything wild, everything, you know, locally sourced as much as you can, it, it might be a lot. So there's all these different factors where I can see where it can get overwhelming and hard to do it all at once. But I like your attitude is just do the best you can to start. And you can just iterate it over time and just try to keep on getting better and better and, and learning more about maybe what your body reacts to or just learning more about the different foods and the nutrition and what to add in. And then one thing, I wonder if you ever talk about this. It was a, such an obvious thing, but I felt like I learned it too late when it comes to eating healthy. You got to try to find the foods that you enjoy eating or else yes. you're just doomed, you know? Yeah. The number one predictor of diet success is adherence, is whether or not you can stick to the diet that you've adopted. And I think the problem with social media is that it allows these really extreme fringe viewpoints to rise to the top. And so people tend to get this, this misconception that extreme diets are the only way to lose weight and attain the body of your dreams or the health of your dreams. That's not the case. I mean, you can lose weight and, and, and shift your body composition positively via any number of diets at this point. So ultimately, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. It's about finding what works for you and, and also integrating the foods that you, that you love. Now, the caveat that I would make is that some of these indulgent foods like confectionery products, cakes, cookies, and stuff like that, those foods are designed to be overconsumed. They're what food scientists refer to as hyperpalatable. So the idea that you're going to be able to moderate your consumption of ice cream or of pizza, for example, we tend to think of ourselves having experienced a, a sense of moral failure when we open up the bag of chips and before we know it, the whole bag is empty. You know, those foods are, are really designed to be overconsumed. So for me, I think it's easier to keep them out of my house than to have them around because I just know that once I get that train going, it's really hard to pump the brakes. Now, you might be different. Everybody's different, but it's not my view. You know, some people will say that a healthy relationship with food means being able to consume those foods like on a, on, on occasion. But for me, that's not, you know, uh, it's like those foods are, yeah, they're just, they're, they're not designed to be consumed in moderation. So your body's actually designed to want to overconsume them because the flavor profile, the mouthfeel indicate, they send this message to your brain that they're calorie dense. And so that density of calories would have been a life-saving feature for a hunter-gatherer before we solve for the food scarcity problem. Today, they're at the cornerstone of the obesity crisis. So all that is to say that, you know, I'm not you, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all diet, but it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's about identifying the foods that are your trigger points and then doing your best to minimize consumption of, of those foods. Yep, yep, exactly, absolutely. Okay, cool. Cool. So I want to talk about this. Let's get even more specific. I know you mentioned in terms of some things 
to talk about to guys in terms of nutrition is uh, meals that can make men last longer in the bedroom. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and maybe also Let's how do we know about some of those things? Yeah. So this is actually cool. So there's like there's a few ways to tackle this topic. For one, I think testosterone is really important, right? It's the male sex hormone. It's involved in a feeling of well-being, body composition, but also libido, sex drive, performance, right? Today, we are exposed to innumerable what are called endocrine-disrupting compounds. A lot of these compounds are leached into our food via plastic and nonstick coatings on pans and in the wrappers used to wrap fast food, and ultra processed foods. So the first thing that I think that people should become really mindful of, oh, also store register receipts are covered in a compound called bisphenol A, which we know is a potent endocrine disruptor. And these compounds in the body actually act like the hormone estrogen. It's been known for a century at this point that these compounds, whether we're talking about bisphenols like BPA, phthalates, parabens, they're what are called xenoestrogens. They act like estrogen in the body. So if you want to be more masculine, more manly, reduce your exposure to plastic. Don't drink out of plastic. Don't reheat your food in plastic. Avoid eating foods, greasy foods, fast foods, for example, that are wrapped in plastic grease-proof papers. Get rid of your plastic in the kitchen like Tupperware. Don't store wet, salty, acidic, fatty foods, warm foods in in plastic Tupperware, nonstick pans. I would say get rid of those. Now, when it comes to optimizing testosterone via nutrition, we want to do our best to eliminate added sugar. Now, a little bit of added sugar these days is going to sneak in inevitably. That's one of the major problems with added sugar is its insidious nature in the modern food supply. But studies show that one high sugar bolus, so giving subjects in a lab one high sugar meal, about 75 grams of, of sugar, actually led to a 25% drop in testosterone that persisted for two hours. So sugar is not friends with testosterone once in your body. A little bit here and there, fine, whole fruit, absolutely fine, but it's the added sugar, the sugar-sweetened beverages that you really want to eliminate if you wanna maximize your levels of testosterone. The third thing that I would point out is that nitric oxide is a really important gas that we create in our blood vessels. It's responsible for helping us maintain healthy blood pressure. It also helps to boost blood flow, right? Viagra is a drug that works via the nitric oxide pathway to increase blood flow to the penis. It's what leads to an erection, right? Food actually provides nitrates, which then get reduced via oral bacteria to a compound called nitrite, which then enters that nitric oxide pathway, boosts blood flow, lowers blood pressure. It's one of the reasons why fruits and vegetables are well known to have a cardioprotective effect, right? People who swish with antiseptic mouthwash are destroying the bacteria in their mouths that play into this nitric oxide pathway that are crucial for reducing nitrate in our produce to nitrite, So if you're routinely using mouthwash, antiseptic mouthwash, you're basically negating the ability of your food to have a cardioprotective effect, and you're hurting your body's nitric oxide pathway. They've shown that people who who frequently use antiseptic mouthwash have a 50% increased risk for developing type 2 diabetes and a doubling of risk for developing hypertension both of which, by the way, are associated with erectile dysfunction. And erectile dysfunction is a very early indicator 
uh, but seldom discussed indicator of cardiovascular disease or sign of cardiovascular disease. You want to make sure to reduce your use, uh, if not eliminating it completely, of, of antiseptic mouthwash. And you also want to increase your consumption of nitrate-containing vegetables. So dark leafy greens are incredible for boosting nitric oxide. Arugula in particular is the per calorie it has the highest concentration of nitrates. So arugula salad for dinner, right? Like it's a great option. I, th I think it takes about 90 minutes for you to see a, an increase in nitric oxide after consuming it. And you also want to chew your food slowly because again, we rely on oral bacteria to synthesize these compounds. So an arugula salad with steak for dinner on date night, making sure that you're chewing slowly great way to 90 minutes later boost sexual performance also beets beetroot powder is a popular supplement among people who work out because it boosts nitric oxide increases the pump right beets another great dinner option if you're looking to boost sexual performance other compounds that, that play a role coq10 can help recycle nitric oxide found abundantly in in red meat i think red meat is a, is a great food as i've mentioned vitamin c um, foods that contain vitamin c so citrus very sexy food, oysters loaded with zinc, which can support testosterone synthesis and, uh, and mollusks and, and crustaceans in general. So yeah, those are all, I think, really important tools. But you want to optimize for your, for your testosterone levels, your hormone levels. You also want to support these nutritional pathways that can encourage optimal sexual performance. Awesome. So there's a lot to do here. A lot of things that you could work to optimize and help with testosterone that's fantastic. And I'd like to say, I'm very proud of myself. I'll give myself a pat on the back because just recently I was like, I got to eat more salads at night. And I've been doing more spinach and arugula combined with a healthy homemade dressing that just consists of balsamic vinegar, salt, pepper, Dijon mustard, and some shallots and some olive no oil. No fat, no oil, no olive oil? And olive oil. Nice. You didn't mention yeah. the olive oil. Olive oil is crucial. Olive oil is a, is a fantastic brain food. It's really good for reducing inflammation, which is important. Extra virgin olive oil has a compound in it called oleocanthal, which has been shown to possess anti-inflammatory properties on par with low-dose ibuprofen, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. But chronic use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen is associated with cardiovascular events. So not good for your cardiovascular system. Extra virgin olive oil, you get the benefits without any of the drawbacks. Just recently, I always knew olive oil, especially extra virgin olive oil was very healthy. But in the past year, I just keep on hearing from different sources like you, for example, that it's just so healthy. I didn't realize how much benefits that it has. And so I don't do this often, but once in a while, I'll take like a half a shot of olive oil, like in the morning, just with some supplements that I take, because I heard also that some supplements absorb better into your system with the fat. And so I'll do yoga, but once in a while, just a little shot of olive oil. And it, I don't know, it's supposed to be really healthy. And you are confirming it's not that. not a bad so. idea. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Extra virgin olive oil is, is medicinal. It's fantastic. It's uh, the primary fat that I use in my kitchen. It's a myth that you can't cook with it. I also think that like when you have a date over, it's cool to show... I think like what's really attractive to the opposite sex is passion and to be passionate to, to A, to know how to cook, I think is, is really sexy, but also to like, to be able to show off certain, you know, whether it's like a really high quality extra virgin olive oil, it's like a flex in a, in a, in a different way. 
it's like an unconventional flex. Like you've got this amazing extra virgin olive oil. You can do a tasting together, which is really fun to do, you know, on, on date night. Also, like aside from a really high quality extra virgin olive oil, I love having a very high quality salt in my kitchen. Oh, interesting. Um, none of these are really that expensive, but like having Maldon salt in the in the kitchen. And in, in my new book, Genius Kitchen, I talk about all the different salts and what to look out for, along with extra virgin olive oil, all that stuff. But Maldon salt is a great way to finish food, and it really up-levels your cooking. It adds like a restaurant-quality vibe to your dishes, and it's so cheap. It's so easy. It's so easy to do. What about like a fine sea salt? Well, fine sea salt is great for recipes, and it's the kind of salt that they put in the salt shaker. But there's really nothing impressive about fine salt. It's not a finishing salt. To be able to, just after plating your food, to be able to sprinkle some Maldon salt, which is like this chunky, like thick flake salt. It's got a really unique texture. Like when you when you bite into a piece of food with salt on it, it's like this like explosion of flavor and you, and you can feel the crunch. It's a great way to finish eggs, to sprinkle on steak, uh, ribs, chicken, poultry, vegetables as well, salads. It's worth having both kinds of salt in your house for sure. Okay, cool, cool. That's great. I love it. Awesome. I'm trying to think of what else I can extract from you from the time that we have here because I'm always trying to learn more about nutrition and food and, and supplements. Well, let's talk about that. What's what's your supplement regimen? I know that guys always love to hear about what people are taking for supplements and, and I know that it is personal so it depends on each person what kind of supplements they're going to take but maybe you have a few that you know are good to take no matter what the case or what's your thoughts on all that? You're absolutely right in that there's really no, there is no one size fits all supplement regimen, but I am pretty religious about like my fish oil intake. I think having a good high quality fish oil at your disposal is great for cardiovascular health. It's great for neurologic health. So I, I routinely take a, a high quality fish oil supplement. I take about two grams of combined EPA and DHA every day. And you want to be careful because most fish oil supplements, it'll say how much fish oil is in it, but the active ingredient are the omega-3s. And so you want to make sure that you're getting about two grams of combined EPA and DHA on the back of your fish oil. So you got to, you actually have to look at the nutrition ingredients list. And it, if it doesn't say, then chances are it's a low quality product. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So it's actually... I like to say that, you know, most vitamins, minerals, and things like that, aside from the form that you buy it in, it doesn't really matter, like, where it comes from. Like, for for example, vitamin B12, you want to make sure that you're getting real vitamin B12, which is methylcobalamin. But beyond that, like, a lot of brands are, like, they're, they're all mostly the same. Fish oil, fish fats are very delicate. They're damage prone. They're prone to oxidation, which is essentially chemical rancidity. And so you do want to kind of like spend a little bit more money to make sure that you're buying a really high quality fish oil supplement. You know, that's one of my, you know, supplements that's in like the rotation routinely. I also take magnesium. Magnesium is sort of like an anti-aging supplement. It also helps you, your body create energy. It's, it's a really important mineral that about 50, 60% of people under consume just because it's a little, it's, it's more difficult these days to get magnesium in the food supply. Our soil has become depleted. People tend not to eat foods that are high in magnesium. So I supplement regularly with magnesium, fish oil. 
I mean, I take a few more things that I cycle in and out. Like sometimes I'll take creatine because it supports, you know, exercise performance. But protein powder, I think everybody should have a good protein powder, a good high quality like whey protein isolate. Really good to keep your protein levels up. What do you think about green powders? I've been on the athletic greens kick as it feels like most people are right now. You hear it advertised on every podcast. Are you into that? Do you feel like that's beneficial well, the thing about athletic greens that I like about it is that it's a multivitamin, essentially. It's a multivitamin, multimineral in one. Do you need it? No, you don't need it. Can it be a, a nice adjunct if you don't routinely eat greens and you want to make sure that you're battening down the hatches with regard to certain vitamins and, and minerals that you might not regularly ingest? Then yeah, but I think it's important to remember that supplements are called supplements for a reason, that they're there to supplement your diet. That's not to say that they're bad or anything about them. I think that they can be great and they're, you know, I personally have fun trying trying new and different supplements. I, I definitely think that there could be a, a, a role, positive role for a greens powder in your diet. But if you're routinely eating dark leafy greens, if you are eating a diet that's nutrient dense and contains animal products, ideally you should be able to get all the nutrients that you need from, from whole foods. Just because our diet's have become so processed and because, you know, the, the, the soil quality is different and, and the like, I think it can be useful to, uh, to supplement. And a greens powder, again, if you don't routinely eat greens, I think it can be potentially helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you need to know what's going on in your body as well before you end up doing supplements or maybe even before you even do a specific sort of diet. And that it's good to get, and you said this earlier on this episode, it's good to get blood testing and see what's yeah. happening inside of your body. Where are you deficient? Where are you doing too much of, of some you know, vitamin or mineral? Checking out your hormonal balance, all those good things. And that can be a good start to lead you to a place of supplementation or different types of diets that will give you the nutrition that your body might need. Do you do a lot of regular blood testing for yourself? I think it's important to do it once a year, at least. I mean, you you might do it more if you're a data nerd like I am. But yeah, I do think it's worthwhile to know what's going on under the hood because you can't always trust your subjective sense of how your body is doing. You know, you can't, you you can feel inflammation when it's localized and, and it's, you know, acute like when you have a sprained ankle, for example, but chronic low-grade inflammation is not something that you can necessarily feel. You can't necessarily feel when your blood pressure is elevated. You can't feel when your blood sugar is chronically high. You can't feel your lipids. So, I mean, these are all things that I think are worth worth checking up on. You know, it's important to know whether or not your way of eating or your lifestyle is actually working for you, right? I know a lot of people who, you know, they overconsume coconut oil. And they think that it's like this perfectly healthy food because the wellness industry seems to love coconut oil. But for people with certain genetic backgrounds, you know, coconut oil can cause a dramatic increase in levels of LDL cholesterol, which is like, why are you purposelessly driving up this this lipoprotein that's associated with cardiovascular risk? It doesn't make any sense. Same thing with butter. I use butter as as an indulgence. I think it's super tasty, but I see an increase in my LDL cholesterol when I when I eat butter and butter is just an isolated fat. It's like not it's not a nutrient dense food. It's not like a piece of grass fed meat. So so yeah. So I think it's it's it is important to kind of get like a baseline check and to at least once a year follow up and see how you're doing. Awesome, cool. Let's 
leave it at this. I want you to maybe just give a, a, just a quick little rant. If someone were to ask you, hey, what are the just couple things that I can do today, right now, that won't take a lot of time, but will start the process of me increasing my health and feeling better? What would be your answer there? Well, I think we tend to not discuss sleep as much as we talk about nutrition and exercise. I think sleep is really important. So making sure that you're getting adequate sleep, both from the standpoint of duration and quality, both very important. And that begins in the morning, like before you go to bed. So making sure that you're exposing your eyes to bright, ambient light from the sun, the light of day, making sure that you're spending adequate time outside, I think really important. That helps anchor your body's circadian rhythm, which is a 24-hour timer that influences every organ system in the body. But it also affects when your body decides to wind down and prepare itself for sleep, making sure that you're getting adequate sun exposure during the day. Keeping your bedroom cool and dark, I think super important. We've now got research that shows that even low light to the tune of five lux, which is a measure of light intensity, it's about a a candlelight's worth of light, can impair next day cognitive function. So making sure that your bedroom is as dark as possible, that's super important. I think uh, cool, making sure that it's cool, eliminating things that can disturb your sleep, you know, that's a, I think, I think that's all, that's all major. After sleep, I would say exercise. Exercise is medicine when it comes to the brain. It's a way of celebrating what our bodies can do. We're designed to move. We're designed to exercise. And yet today, leisure time, physical activity is at an all-time low. You know, many of us are stuck behind desks working nine to five. And, you know, sometimes we can't change that. That's just a a necessarily evil for for some of us. But I think you got to make time. You got to make time in the day to do at least some exercise, right? Because all of us make time to stream and binge the latest Netflix show that we're obsessing with, right? So you got to make time. And if that requires a little bit, bit of sacrifice at the at the latter end of the day, then you know I think that that's a sacrifice worth making because exercise really is crucial. It's important for, I mean, it's important for body composition. It's important for metabolic health. But I think primarily what it does to mental health is so important. It's so underappreciated. It, it exercise is as effective for improving symptoms of depression as antidepressants in many many cases. So you know, making sure to carve out time in your day for exercise, important. So yeah, I would say other than nutrition, optimizing around sleep and exercise and the rest tends to take care of itself. Awesome. Those are great tips. I like it. Very practical. Max, thank you so much for being here. Guys, I want you to check out his website, maxlugavir.com. We're going to put that in the show notes. You can see everything he's up to. He's a New York Times bestseller for the book Genius Foods. He's got another book called The Genius Life and his latest book, Genius Kitchen. And if there's anything else that you want to share or for people to go to, Max, you want to say that now? Thanks, Trip. Yeah, I host my own podcast. It's called The Genius Life. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you check out The Genius Life. And I'm very active on Instagram at Max. Lugavir. It's spelled L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. So come say hi. Cool. We'll put all that in the show notes. Max, thank you so much for being here, taking the time. Really appreciate it. Know you're super busy with everything you're doing and all the stuff you're putting out there. So thanks again. Thank you, brother. Honor to be here.